The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Yo! Welcome in to the House of L podcast. I am Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for hanging out on today's episode. I'm so excited for you to hear the episode that we have today. I, I feel like I say that every week, and it's true. Mainly because I bring people on to the podcast that I think are super interesting, and my goal is that you're going to think they're as interesting as I do. And maybe you, you're, you're going to think that they're more interesting than I do. This week, our guest, John Hansen, has... He has lived some lives, man. And he is out here in this business doing it real big. And I genuinely like and respect the way that he goes about doing his business. And you're going to find out a lot about him in this episode. I'll get back to more than that in a second. We are brought to you by Aurelio's. Yay! Aurelio's Pizza. It's the sauce. You know the deal. You know how I feel about Joe and that great pizza that they have. Summertime is a good time to look for a job. If you're thinking you got a little one that, or you yourself are looking for a part-time job, working at Aurelio's is terrific. They treat you really well. Aureliospizza.com. Find a location near you. Order up some za. I've said before. As much as I love their pizza, they have really good basket of fries, and they have really good desserts. And they're one of the oldest pizza places in the world, man. They're just great. Aureliospizza.com. John Hansen does a little bit of everything. He He's a t- true testament to the idea of being able to do whatever. He can do weather. He can read hard news and cover hard news. He can do sports. And he's been doing a great job with the Blackhawks since he got that job. He can do entertainment. There's pretty much nothing in the business of broadcasting that John Hansen hasn't done and can't do. I always talk with students about being versatile and the importance of being able to be everything because now everyone is everything in broadcasting. If you think that you're going to be able to just be someone who's on the radio, nope. If you think that you're just going to be a writer, nope. Everyone is everything. And John is an excellent example of this. 
He's working over at WCIU. He's doing the show over at WGN Radio. He's still working for the Blackhawks. He's helping out with Block Club. He's everywhere. Savoir Faire is everywhere. You get two points if you know that reference, but only two. I can only spare you two points. The way that he got to be Mr. Everything was fascinating to me. So I wanted to ask him about that. And that's what we talk about this week on the House of L podcast. First of all, it's so good to see you. It's really good to see you. Um, you're you're one of my favorite people in our business. So getting a chance to have you on the podcast has always been a goal. That's nice of you to say. I think you're one of the best people in the business, too. And uh, we always have fun together when we get to see each other. And it's obviously been stymied by the pandemic. But I'm happy to be on this podcast. You're killing it, man. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you saying that. I, I want to ask you about being at Blackhawks games. And th- hmm. that's where I want to start. What's that like, and how did you end up in that position? Yeah, so uh started actually about 11 years ago. I moved back to Chicago, and um, I had known Gene Honda. We both went to the same university and college radio station, definitely different decades, but we kind of knew each other through our alumni network, and uh, they were looking for a new backup for Gene Honda, and... Um, you know, we had talked to each other. He's like, hey, we're, we're looking. I actually had auditioned for the Cubs PA job that opened up. Remember when they had that big competition? Yes. And people just like submitted YouTube videos. So I didn't get it, but I was close. And so Gene knew all that we were talking through. So he's like, why don't you come audition to be my backup? And so they brought me to the United Center. And I think like McDonough and Blunk and a couple of the guys sat in a skybox. And Michael Buble concert was like setting up on the floor. And they're like, just, just get on the horn and read a couple things. It was a very weird setup. I was like 25 years old too. So I was almost too young to know how big of a deal that was. Right. And so Blackhawks goal, his fifth of the season, did a couple of those reads, got a call a couple of days later, like, all right, you're going to be jeans backup. So for like eight years, I would do like, I don't know, six or seven games, right. When there's overlap with the white Sox, or when Gene does the final four or he does the Maui invitational. So it wasn't much, but they started having in arena hosts, the people on the video boards and, this is like very much like my everything I've that's happened in my career. I just like kind of let them know. I'm like, hey, I kind of want to try that once. We're like, okay, that sounds great. You know, you do TV work. So I tried it. Uh, this is in like March of 2019, I think, and did it one game. And then they were like, all right, you're going to do that from now on. So can you do every game? And uh, I was also working a morning show at the time. And I was like, uh, yes, I can. Um, even though I knew that was going to set up some interesting, uh, 11 PM, get home, wake up at 2 AM things, but it's a blast. I don't know. I love, you know, when I used to go to Hawks games as a kid, um, first of all, I would listen to Harvey Wittenberg and then eventually Gene Honda, who were, you know, PA announcers and like just dream of doing something like that. But I've always liked sports, not only for just, you know, the, the breaking down what's the X's and the O's and everything like that. I like the theater of it all. I love the way a crowd, the rising action of, you know, crowd energy. I even like the upsetness, you know, when people get pissed at a ref or so. I, there's just such a cool vibe in hockey games. So to be kind of like plugged into that and contribute to that in a way, uh, not, obviously not as big as the players, but like in my own small way, it's really cool. It, it seems like you're having a really good time. It's interesting that you point out the idea of, 
yeah, I had this morning show, and that made for some some interesting scheduling quirks. I can relate. I, at one yes. point, was doing a radio show at night and then a streaming television national show in the morning. And you're right. Like, you, you start counting sleep. Like, you're like, okay, if I can get home by such and such time, then I can get <laughs> this amount of sleep and I can still be normal the next morning. But the weird part about it is, I always say this to students, you kind of need to say yes to things that that you really want to explore, right? Well, 100%. I, you know, and that's the thing is I think we're at this interesting point where I love how people are now talking like, first of all, pay me what I earn or what I'm worth and treat me like I'm worth something. Like I'm, I'm really proud of like labor movements that are like, you know, I've earned this. But at the same time, like there is this process where I feel like you still have to put in the hours to get to that point. And I, um, I still feel that way. Right. Like I have like four great jobs I love and they're wonderful, but like, I still feel like I got to grind it. I'm sure mm-hmm. you do in ways too, Lawrence, even though you're this big shot now, like there's still that grinder mentality that you have. And yeah, I mean, I've been in back in Chicago media, like I've been here for like 11 years and it's just been a constant grind and you have to, you know, like when I started filling in at WGN radio, it was like overnight, Christmas Eve to Christmas, right? And you you just do it because you you say this isn't exactly what I want now, but I know this is the step to get there, and then that kind of drives you through. Of course, there's like the puck would like drop at the second period, and I'd always look at the clock and be like, "This is when I'm normally in bed," and we've got two more periods to mm. get through post game the drive home, and that would hurt sometimes. And I and it's hard to complain about this stuff because they're jobs that everyone you know loves and would want, but. Yeah, there were times it was it was not the best. But, yeah, you got to grind through. You got to do that stuff. So what's the energy like at a Blackhawks game? Um, well, you know, the, there's no doubt the team has struggled, right? And it's been a crazy year in many ways. But fans are still really into it. I, I, I mean, there are games, obviously, especially if the Hawks haven't played well and they're down early. It makes our jobs a little bit tougher to keep people super engaged throughout the whole game. But like the Hawks fans that are in that building, the loyal ones are like into it, right? Like I, I still think that hockey is one of those sports. Obviously it's better if you're making the playoffs and in those runs that they were for the long, but there still is an exciting energy. I mean, anytime that goal horn goes off, there's just this natural explosion of energy. And I think that's kind of like the nature of hockey. It's often this slow build to, and then out of nowhere, you know, magic happens. So I, I actually think it's been, We've had some really great crowds. And while the Hawks record, of course, is not where you'd want it to be, they've been in a lot of games. They've given up one goal leads late in the third period. They've lost a lot of games in overtime. So I think that helps. Like, they've been fairly competitive. And I know that's going to sound to people like I'm trying to paint this rosy picture. Um, But I truly think that. I mean, there obviously have been some games that have been out of hand early. But for the most part, I feel like the crowd's really been into it. And there have been some great games this year. Did you grow up playing hockey? No, I didn't play hockey, but I skated. So it's funny because I always could skate really well. I know that's like three quarters of the battle, but I never really played hockey. But I did start playing hockey when I moved back to Chicago with the Chicago Gay Hockey Association. Um, they, at the time, like 12 years ago, it was one team. And now they have like three or four teams. They play in all sorts of leagues. They travel around the world. Um, but I knew I could skate and I'd kind of gotten to know some of the guys. I forget exactly how. 
And they're like, come try it, right? And I started doing rat hockey like on Wednesday nights at like 11.30 p.m. at McFetrich in Lincolnwood or wherever it is. He fumes out of the Zamboni room. Like the worst hockey playing situations, but like that's what rat hockey is and that's what league hockey is. And I literally showed up to the first practice they had. They're like, can you skate backwards? I'm like, yep. They're like, all right, you're playing, uh, you're playing defense. Um, so I got, a, I got a sense of it, right? I haven't played in a couple of years Again, that morning show life that I was on for five years is not conducive to playing hockey for those late nights. But um, yeah, baseball is what I played growing up. Baseball was my was my number one. I played it. I wasn't great at it, but I was an umpire and like took that seriously. I was like a I took what <laughs> I what took what age seriously. what age group were you umpire for? Oh well, I mean, I started it with machine pitch, right? So when I was eleven, I think I was umpiring eight-year-olds and then that slowly went up eventually like pony leagues and stuff like that i was really into it what what did you like about it i don't know i no, honestly i hated it the first year i did it my parents kind of made me do it they're like go you're really into baseball why don't you try this and it's adults yelling at you which is like an 11 year old is shockingly horrible right like even if you're a confident kid but i honestly think it kind of made me really good at dealing with adults at a younger age um, and like having a little bit of a spine. Um, I just, I, I think honestly, I, I love the sport of baseball. I've, I've always loved it. I like the theater of it, right? Like, I think it's fun. I think it's the action of being an umpire and having that quote unquote control without trying to, you know, influence the game, of course, but like there's a performative nature to it. I think every major league baseball, I mean, we see this all the time with certain umpires and referees in every league, there is a performative nature to it. And you like kind of being that, center role right i was either like i mean they're going to be an announcer in baseball or i'm going to be a somewhere involved in this sporting world that uh, where people have have eyes on me except playing the sports like i knew that was out so um but i loved umpiring man i it was so much fun and i did it for a long time and i honestly i i honestly kind of considered maybe like really going for it really never yeah i i was pretty good too like i like i had a great strike zone i had a good strike call um, I once struck my brother out looking on three strikes in, uh, his championship game when he's five years younger than me made him sob, but that's what a fair umpire does. Um, no, I was really into it. Um, and baseball is like my true love. Like in hockey was like kind of my number two growing up. Cause my dad took me to a lot of games. You know, it's interesting. Both my brothers are collegiate division three football players, great athletes. Um, like they were all state uh, high school football players they didn't like going to sporting events they they lived that life and they didn't like going to the sporting events my dad I was the only one who actually wanted to go like when I was going to a Cubs game my dad would like tell us when we had tickets right I would like the 15 days beforehand I would make like these little you know like a Christmas countdowns you have those little strips of cardboard yes and you make like a chain I'd make like a red and blue chain counting down the days till I got to go to Wrigley Field for a Cubs game and I keep score every game that even games I wasn't at, I keep score. I mean, sports has really been a big part of my life and it's it centered around baseball, but I just have always loved being at the arena. Like, even though I'm not a, a Sox fan, um, I loved going to Comiskey to hear Gene Honda's introductions of Paul Canerco and Frank Thomas. Frank and, Thomas. And, right, and the fireworks because the Sox know how to put on a show. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Where did the skating come from if you weren't playing hockey when you were younger? 
I don't know. We'd go to like Downers Grove has like a little ice arena. We'd go there and there's like a seven bridges outdoor ice arena. I don't know. I just, we were kind of, we weren't like a super athletic family, but we always did stuff. I was not a video games person. You know, when my two best friends, they love video games, I would sit there and announce. So they'd play whatever sports game we'd mute it. And I'd announce the game never played very rarely. So for me, it was like, we're going outside. We play baseball and I lived on a cul-de-sac. So the sewers became the bases and we played baseball. We played, uh, you know, football and we skated in the winter and stuff. Just not a ton, but just enough to learn it. Right. I don't think we skated a ton, but I just, you know, when you do something, when you're three, four or five, it's way easier to pick up and you keep that for life. But yeah, I was, <laughs> I would announce when they played like golden eye, <laughs> really? right? Like, yes. They would, they'd be like, you want to play? I'm like, I eh, know, but you guys should pick uh, Moonraker lasers and I'll like <laughs> get some proximity mines places. And I will just love to announce it. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's outstanding. A, a couple. A, of, I was a quirky kid. I'll tell you that. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. A couple episodes yeah. back, I talked with Paul Conrad about youth baseball and, and uh-huh. you talking about youth umpiring. I think is I'm fascinated by all of it. Like by by how it's grown from when I was a kid playing in Jackie Robinson West to now like this travel baseball thing that's happened over the last fifteen years or so. Mm-hmm. What was the best experience that you had as an, an umpire dealing with youth sports, and what was the worst part of it? Uh, I the guy who ran the Downers Grove umpire league was also a coach or who, who our boss essentially was also a coach, which is a, of course a terrible conflict of interest, but I'm sure they were just, you know, whatever. We need a guy to run the umpires and he would try and lean on us hard, right? Like during games and uh, get in arguments, right? It was weird. Cause he's the guy training us how to be umpires and here he's a coach yelling at us. So tossing your boss from a game was a really bad experience. Really, and I had to do it, and I don't know if he was like testing me, but and an umpire also, you know, when you when you f up, right? And you in baseball, there's that you never turn, you know, you wouldn't overturn a call. A lot of times, you're the only kid out there umpiring a game, or you're trying to umpire with one, maybe one other person. So I I, I can just distinctly remember a swing and a foul tip that I called strike three, but it was a foul tip into the ground. It should have been, you know, a foul ball. I knew it right after I had called the guy out and parents are just screaming at you. And it just, it's the worst feeling for like an 11 year old, 12 year old, 13 year old, whatever, to just have parents feel such vitriol um, for a mistake you made in a kid's baseball game. Um, Like like, like, like you had it in for their kid. Yes. And like, I, I messed up. I know it. And maybe in that moment, I should have said, Hey, hold on. I know. But like, you know, in bait, you know, umpires were always taught, you know, stick with your guns and first instinct. Then you start questioning things, but that like that lingers for like many pitches, many innings Um, best experiences. I actually got to do a game at um, Miller park after it opened up. And I don't know what some league it was having maybe an all-star game, a Northern suburb versus Southern Wisconsin suburb all-star game at Miller park. And uh, they called me up there and that was really cool. I think I was in maybe 18 or 19. I got to umpire for like a 16 year old uh, league. I don't know. That was really cool. I mean, it wasn't backed or anything, but you know, at an actual baseball stadium being behind the plate in a gorgeous stadium at that, uh, that was probably my coolest uh, experience. Is there a a stadium that you haven't been to that you want to go to? (sighs) 
I really want to go to, I've been to a lot of them. I love AT&T Park, San Francisco. Have you been to PNC? Uh, yes, I have been to PNC. It's that my is favorite. Experience. It's oh, my favorite so place. Good. Yeah, it's a great one. Oh, Camden Yards, probably. Okay. My dad's been there, and I lived in D.C., and I always wanted to go out there, but I never did. Just, I mean, that was kind of the one, right, that changed how stadiums were done uh, when they when they built that. And I, I would like to, I would like to see that. I've been to Fenway. I haven't been to the new Yankee. Never went to old Yankee. I went to the old uh, <laughs> Fulton County Stadium uh, many times growing up, and I went to the old Tiger Stadium with the overhang in the outfield. Uh, in the, uh, I, I, I don't know. I love stadiums. I just, I, I don't know. You're probably the same way. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are too. It's like any stadium. I just love looking around, walking the concourse, getting the field, uh, going to the old Joe Lewis arena in Detroit, did, went to a lot of games there in hockey. And, uh, I don't know. It's just fun to, to explore a new place. Seeing the designs of the different places is always fascinating to me. Like what does a particular city value in its fan base like what they want the experience to be like those are some of the cool parts and the thing that we get as people that that work in the business we get to be in these places when they're quiet and i love that level of access where you can kind of walk around and get a feel for the 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 actual physical plant of the place 100 percent. yeah yeah there i mean like one of my favorite things is when we're there so early for Hawks games is like going down the tunnel and being on the ice level. There's not a soul in the bowl. You can't see anyone. Lights are pretty dim and they have just zammed the ice and it's just got like this amazing like shimmer. And you know, it's like the quiet before the storm. I don't know. There is that. I think maybe it's the anticipation of it and you know what that place sounds like at its loudest. And just to know that you could hear a pin drop. Also, a lot of times, like when we're rehearsing or doing stuff and there is like a practice going on, you can act. And, and this was during COVID times, too. You can actually hear what they're saying to each other during mm-hmm. games. It was so strange and unusual to be in an empty stadium like that. But it was a unique perspective for sure. So obviously you were doing play by play of video games. So broadcasting mm-hmm. was was on your mind. When did it go from a hobby to I think I want to do this I think I always wanted to do it and I had a camcorder when I was a kid my parents like had a hand-me-down one that I would like bring to school and interview people I had a I loved game shows my dad built me a wheel of fortune wheel and I like no way great yeah my third grade teacher was like that's cool why don't you be a wheel of fortune host for a uh, an hour in class and like they let like I just had a lot of adults that really fostered that creativity which of course is a great point of privilege to have that, to have uh, a lot of adults who were like, hey, you're kind of creative. But here's the interesting thing is I went to college to be a history teacher. So did I, I by the way. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. My degree I, I from my, my degree at DePaul is in history. I believe that. Yeah, that makes sense. But I was like, I love microphones. I did stage and theater and everything in high school. I did worked in my high school radio station. And, you know, I don't know. I, my mom, who was a public school teacher, an art teacher, she would be like, are you sure? <laughs> like... You could do, I mean, you could, you'd be a great teacher. You can always go back and get your teaching degree. And then one day in sophomore year of college, my buddy in the English class was like, you have a, you have a good sounding voice. So we were like reading aloud from a book. He's like, come to the radio state, the college radio station, WPGU. And I went that day and the person who did the sports reports didn't show up 
in a very college uh, radio station fashion. And they're like, <laughs> go ahead. Right. And I did it. And I was hooked and changed my major to broadcast journalism. Um, and then, you know, became a news director. And I ended up working down at Champaign-Urbana as the uh, I stayed at the station as a general manager for three or four years right out of college because the position opened up. So I was basically like a glorified babysitter of the student radio station uh, as the professional adult in the room at 22 years old. Um, what was that experience really, like? It was interesting. You know, I think I, I'm someone who like really does like to chase new opportunities, but in my heart of hearts, I'm a homebody. So like champion Urbana, uh, U of I was such an amazing experience for me not only just like getting to do radio and stuff, but it was kind of like where I became who I was, mm. where I became comfortable in my own skin. And honestly, when I got the opportunity, when they're like, I was, I was going to graduate like in three months and they're like, Hey, this job opened up. It just felt right to stay just emotionally, personally. I wasn't ready to leave. I, I, had, I had just came out like my senior year of college. And I was like, no, I want to like live in this a little bit longer I didn't have the same experiences that a lot of my friends had in high school where they figured out everything. And then, you know, it's old hat by college. So I kind of was like, no, I like, I, I finally have like a group of friends here. Um, so I stayed and it was, it ended up being the best decision ever. I kind of got, I call it college too. I stayed there for like four extra years and like, yeah, I still party, but not as much. Right. And I made some money and I kind of learned that professional atmosphere on a, a little bit of a curve, I guess you could say. And you could live like, there fairly inexpensively, I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah, very inexpensively. And, you know, just kind of continue to figure out me and what that was. And the best part about it is the first thing I did is, as the manager, I was like, look, WPGU is a college radio station that has so many alumni in so many places across the country. Let's really reestablish an alumni network. And of course I was doing it for the benefit of the students, but I was also young and knew it would benefit me too selfishly. So I was like reaching out to, that's how I got to know Gene Honda, you know, Charlie Myerson, who was a WGN radio news director at the time, Rick uh, Kemper, who had, you know, produced Stephen Gary for so long and Mary Vandeveld, who's a WG, like all these people, Andrea Darlis, just like reaching out to these people you know, with a little, not, not just like, Hey, I'm John, just like, Hey, I'm, I'm representing the college radio station you went to. So um, I don't even know if I knew how smart I was at the time, but I just felt so like something to do. And I mean, that really helped. I mean, just getting to know a lot of people for a few years and they were so excited to like reconnect with their college radio station and stuff. So I kind of got an in with a lot of people so that when I eventually ended up back in Chicago media, I had people to reach out to, to, to help at least get me in the room. What was the the coming out experience like for you down in Champaign? It was great. I, I I'm really lucky overall. Like I knew I was gay when I was like 12 and I, this is such an embarrassing story, but that's what you share on podcasts. Right. I, um, you know, like, I think I knew that I was different. I didn't quite like have a, a word for it. I didn't know. I mean, I kind of had an idea and I, I was watching a documentary of all things about Jeffrey Dahmer. And he said in a clip on a video, I knew I was gay when I was 12 and I ignore the rest of the Jeffrey Dahmer part. I was 12 when I was watching that. And I think it sunk in that I was like, Oh wait, you can actually know this. But of course, yeah, I hit it. I had girlfriends in high school. I, you know, present very quote unquote straight acting, um, which I know some people take offense to. It's not, that's just who I am. And um, so like no one knew uh, which made it a very interesting experience, but my parents, are they were hippies in the 60s 
and they were always an open household of like, and they would, you know, teach us about, you know, the LGBTQ community, et cetera. I mean, not in like any strong handed way, but I always knew that it was going to be okay, which of course is a benefit that a lot of people don't have. But all of my friends in college were basically straight until the last year when I finally decided to come out. So it was an interesting experience. So I did what a lot of people do when they're gay. I would like slowly pick and choose a couple people to tell, usually drunk at a bar. And that bar was Murphy's Pub in Champaign. I thought you were going to say cams, but. No, no, no. I was never a cams guy. <laughs> but, uh, and like my friends, are, they kind of name it the John coming out booth. Cause I would take all of them over to this booth to tell them. Like they all learned about it years later that I did it the same way for everybody. Cause like, it's a really hard thing. And it, maybe it's a lot easier now. And it was certainly easier for me than it was 20 years before me. But in 2005, it was still, I mean, marriage was illegal and not even on the realm of political possibilities. And so I slowly told people one by one until I kind of met a guy I wanted to date. And then I felt like, Oh, well, I better, I better tell people. So I drove home to Downers Grove to tell my parents first. And my mom, I was like, I got to tell you guys something serious. And my mom was like, Oh, okay. And my dad's like, all right, what's up? And I said, I'm gay. And my mom said, Oh, I thought you were going to say your younger, your younger brother got his girlfriend pregnant. <laughs> so they were relieved that that, that wasn't because they, I think by then they had known. And then, um, and then I did the most like new social media thing ever. Facebook used to have, you could say what you were interested in men or women. Right. And I changed it on Facebook, went to bed, turned off my phone, turned off my computer and left everything off for about 24 hours just because I was so scared. And then when I turned on my phone, I had, this is right when texting was starting, I was just littered with, it was like my birthday. It was like the greatest thing ever. So many people wrote uh, nice emails and texts and stuff. And, you know, I had a really blessed coming out experience, all things, all things considered. So. I mean, that's um, dope. Like, cause you're right. Like a, a ton of people will tell you that their coming out experience to their, their close group, their circle that's usually fine, but it seems like the the world at large, there weren't like landmines that you were stepping into with this. Like that's a really like that's a, a fantastic way to have something that you hold dear be public knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's it was it was obviously reaffirming and great. I mean, even today, I still walk around with some trepidation because you just ne I mean, coming out is, you know, it's a one big thing at one moment, but it's an everyday thing. I mean, every person you meet in, especially in our business, you just never, you never know. And like, when do you bring that up? Right? right. Like, and like, maybe they don't need to know, but like, there comes a point where, you know, someone might crack a joke and then you're like, well, shit, now I got to say something or now I need to let them know to avoid them further embarrassment because everyone else in the room knows or something like that. So that's, that's an interesting world, but I will say I've been really blessed with my, all my employers that are like, when I got hired at WCIU, they knew, and I was told immediately to just be myself, like mention my boyfriend and then husband at the time on air, just do me. And same thing at WGN radio. Right. And that's big. I mean, WGN radio has a wide array of listeners uh, of age and demographic and political persuasion and for them to say, yeah, say what you want, live your life. That was, that, that's always been big. And same with the Blackhawks too. Um, never been a problem there, but 
you never know. So uh, it's cool. I, I just, I do feel very blessed. I wrote a letter to myself, like when I really was like, I need to come out, but it still was a couple of years before I did. I still have that letter. And I wrote on there, like, you know, like, Hey, you're, you know, you're, you're gay. You know, and I wrote on there, I'm like, you'll never be married. You'll never have kids. You'll never get to work in these in TV and radio and be who you are, but that's okay. And like, I was trying to like come to terms with that, I think. And now reading that letter, it's like, man, the world has changed a ton, which is great. But I've also been just so lucky that I'm actually living a life. I never, for a while there, I thought no chance I'd, I'd be able to live. As, as an ally, I, I have an idea of what gay Chicago is. And I, okay. I appreciate being occasionally like invited in like Terry Himmer let me sit with her during the pride parade. And that oh, cool. was, that was an experience. Like being on the float with Terry was an experience because <laughs> we, we were going down Broadway and there were people like three flats that oh, yeah. like saw Terry Himmer and they started crying. And I was just like, Oh, like I knew that I knew that she was the queen. Like I, I right. mean, I know Terry Himmer's one of my favorite people and I knew that she was popular. But I didn't know it was like that. So as as an outsider, an ally, but an outsider, what what is it about Chicago that I think makes it a a gay friendly city? Yeah, I mean, it certainly is compared to a lot of places. I just want to say off the bat, too, we all have our own blind spots, too, even in the gay community. And uh we're the, even the LGBTQ community has a lot of reckoning to do within itself dealing with. Uh, transphobia and racism. So I'm not trying to paint some picture that it's this amazing place. I think it is a great place to, to be gay, obviously. I just want to say that from the outset that we still have work to do even with our own community. But I don't know. It's so great to be. I mean, obviously, Boys Town is a great neighborhood. And there's a different bar for every sort of person. And it's a very welcoming play, place, I think, for straight people, too. Right. And uh, we love when our allies are out there, too. And we're obviously not a monolith, so it's hard to talk about sure. it, sort of like this. But like. I don't know. It's so nice to live in a city and it's probably just the makeup of the city where like Enrique and I can like go to a bar and sit there, have a drink, watch a game as husbands. And it's like no one bats an eye. Right. And I think that's the comfortable thing about Boys Town. And I think for the most part, in most parts of the city now, we could go almost anywhere. And that's the case. I, I mean, there's certain pockets maybe where you'd want to be on edge a little bit, but like, I don't know. I don't know what about it is. I think Chicago is like a, like we're this hardworking in many ways, a blue collar city, right? We have that reputation, but I think we're always a city that regards people as like, Hey, you live your life. You do the best you can do. And we're all in this together. And I feel like that is an attitude Chicagoans have. And I think that, you know, maybe some people need a little awakening on the gay and LGBTQ thing. But I think for the most part, Chicagoans are, you know, we're in this together. <laughs> It's we, we got polar vortices to get through. We got we got 120 degree humid days to get through. Gay or straight, let's just we'll figure this out together, man. I'm glad that you brought up polar vortices because I I feel like I mean I know that you technically did weather, mm -hmm. but I also think like if if meteorology would have been your thing, it could have been your thing. Are you a meteorologist? No, not a meteorologist, but I did when I was 12 go to College of DuPage tornado spotter class with Tom Skilling. Uh, hey. I was obsessed with weather as a kid. 
Seriously, I mean, like, if you're going to be in it. a class, that's the guy who you want to be one. in a class with. Right. So I was really into weather and I know it rudimentary. I probably know more about the weather than the average person. And that's not a pat on the back. It's just because I read a lot about that stuff. And I had to. When the jam started, which was our morning show on WCIU, I was going to be the field reporter and they had put on the press release. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this. They put on the press release for the jam and we're going to tell weather in a creative new way on the show, but they actually hadn't figured out what they were going to do yet. So like a two weeks before the show launched, they're like, you know, John, you're already out in the field. You know, weather. we've had this conversation before. Can you present it in cool and different ways? And that was like the coolest challenge. I love doing that. Because I would, you know, give you a little of the weather, but it wasn't like any of the other stations. We barely even had like a radar system or anything. I would have Chicagoans join me and do the weather with me in unique ways. So if I was at a high school for game of the week, I'd have the Palms crew, you know, make cloud formations, lightning bolts, raindrops, the temperatures all with their Palms to, to do it in a fun, creative and different way. That's just one example. But like, yeah, I, I, I can't even believe and... uh it's a little embarrassing to say that that's my Emmy. It's actually weather reporting. <laughs> I, I don't think you, it shouldn't be embarrassing to say. I thought I always thought, man, you do a great job at that. And you did like you, you try to make it a fun thing. And that's yeah. key. Like that's, that's what people want. Like that's what they want in the morning. I think that's why you succeed on television is, is, that. is because you're fun. Like you're smart and you're fun. And that combination is really hard to beat. So, so you should be super proud of that Emmy, no matter where it came from, because it's a, it's a cool thing to have. Like it's, I, I want to know about the jam, like in working on that show. Explain to people how hard it is to do a morning show every day. Yeah, I mean the grind of it is crazy because. A few things. The hours alone are crazy, right? And, like, there's morning shows that started before us. So sympathies to the people on the B team at WGN who are on the air at 4. Facts. Right? That's insane. Or 4.30 at 7.52. Or they may even be 4 now, too. Uh, so the hours alone are crazy, and we didn't even have the worst of it. But, you know, at WCIU, we are a smaller operation. So we don't have an, we didn't have like an afternoon and an overnight crew that was out there shooting news so that when you walk in in the morning, you have some stuff, right? So like if we were trying to be this balance of like lifestyle and news and all this and, and, and fun and great topics. So like it was a 24 hour job, I felt like in many ways, right? Because you do the show six to eight and then you, okay, all right, we're going to have this guest do this segment. We're going to have that. You prep for those things. But then as like news broke through the afternoon, people are expecting you to talk about it in the morning, right? They're expecting you to have visual elements, have guests reacting to it. So like our ragtag group who we became really close with, we were always in communication all day, all afternoon. There's really not a time when you're off. And when you get there at three, you're kind of building a show from scratch without maybe some of the resources that some of the big stations have. Um, and while that is limiting, it's also freeing because we could play that, right? Kind of like how WGN admits and has fun with being that, uh, you know, they have so many promos running now. And, and I love watching those guys on nine, just like how stupid the show is, right? right. How goofy it is and how they're not trying to buy be two, five or seven. We kind of had even a little WGN Carson plays like they're the little brother or the little sister. We were like the cousin, right? That was like off the wall. And we could kind of play into that while still trying to, to present a fun show. 
Um, and I got to do all the different roles on that show over the four year run. Um, so that was great. It was a real bummer when we had to go home and do it from our houses. And we still put together a fun show that then turned into an evening show. Um, and it was a bummer when it had to be uh, canceled, but I totally get the business side of it. And we still were at home when that happened. So I don't know. I feel like WCIU, whether it was you and me, which is the show I started on or the jam, it was almost like my, my master's degree in TV, getting to do everything on the fly with real consequences and, you know, try and navigate a, a world that we're in, which is of course, nothing what the, the block club Chicago show. Is. Well, well, that's, I wanted to ask you about that. Like, am I going to see you regularly on the block? Because I, I think you add an, an element to it. That's important. Well, thank you. Yeah. So Brandon Pope, who I know you talked to recently, he's the host. I love B Pope. Um, and so I am kind of responsible. I have a sec, I have a podcast that I do. I do the block club Chicago podcast. I've known those people for years. I used to work over at DNA info uh, when it was owned by the Ricketts before they, um, shut it down. And, um, I do this podcast for Block Club called It's All Good. So when we were kind of like figuring out what my role was, it's half producer. And I kind of like coordinate between the new two news operations. Um, I kind of know all the Block Club reporters. We're all on a Slack channel. I can kind of be their conduit for, hey, do you mind giving us a report on this? Can we get more information on this? You take pictures or video of this because they're all print digital reporters and coordinating that with the TV side. Wow, this is really boring behind the scenes stuff. But no, then my this, other is, this is what part, we do on House of L. Yeah, yeah. The other part that I love is I we take the podcast and kind of turn it into a visual thing. And so it's a, the middle segment, the B block, as they as we call it, is called It's All Good. It's like five or six minutes. I'll have a, either as a well done. Well, I like to think so. A well-produced package that really highlights great Chicagoans doing awesome stuff. Right. Like and that's what we do on the podcast, too. And most of the time, it's everyday people. It's like your neighbors. You wouldn't even know they were doing this. You wouldn't know they were baking 1,500 meals every four weeks for people during the pandemic. You wouldn't know that they had a dream of opening up a yarn store on the south side because there isn't one. And it took them 15 years to do it. And they did it. And you didn't know that it took that much heart and soul to do that. You wouldn't know about Razor Red, Terrence Wills, the guy who grew up in Rockwell Gardens in the projects, but he said it was like a paradise to him because he learned how to cut hair and got to cut Scotty Pippen's hair and grinded it out till he finally got his own shop. And to be able to tell those stories, I mean, I'm going to goosebumps talking about these people is awesome. So to be able to do it in podcast format and then turn it into a TV format is really cool. But we're also playing with like, so uh, Pope hosts the show, but even the one we taped yesterday, it's like, well, we need a little bit of me versus Pope because we have a good little uh, rapport back and forth. That's what I was so saying. Like, like you guys, yes. that element is really important, I think, to the success of the show. It's in there. Don't worry. I uh, When you see episode three, you'll already see it. It only took me three weeks to call Brandon Pope a loser. So in the loving <laughs> way, it slipped out. We were talking about skateboarding and he said something so off base. I just had to call him out on it. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of what the show also needs to have right and that's a very chicago i mean i know brandon's not originally from chicago but i think he's an honorary chicago in he's got the right vibe and so and who am i to judge i grew up in downers grove so i shouldn't even say that but you know what i mean like he's got that good midwestern thing and and look block club chicago is an awesome organization to work for they are a rising star a star that's already risen basically in this media landscape they're nonprofit, and Knowing the co-founders really well, I mean, they just have their heart in such a great place 
and the stories are awesome. Multi-platform is kind of yeah. where we're at in, in, in 2022. Did you have any problem like transitioning from being a, a radio person to a TV person to now being a podcast host and, and, and a digital producer of content that happens to go back on television? <laughs> I No, and it's probably like you, Lawrence, and I'm sure a lot of other people out there, the me that is on the microphone on any platform is the same one you'd get without the microphone there. And that also sounds very easy and it's not. That takes like years of just like being comfortable with your own voice and finding your own voice. So no, I, I honestly don't feel, I mean, of course you ch change your topics a little bit based on the medium you're on and TV has, a, I got to put makeup on. I mean, there's different differences, but like, I don't know. It's like, it's all me. Like no matter which job I'm at, it's pretty much the same John Hansen uh, that you're getting. But I also feel like I didn't want to pick a lane. I was told often, and you mentioned meteorology. There were many times I did consider like, just go get your meteorological degree. I can't even say that word, meteorological degree. And <laughs> just be a TV weather guy. Who knows? You could rise the ranks, right? I have a fun personality. You know, maybe I'll go uh, kick Conrad out of there at some point. There Although you go. He's, he's not a meteorologist, is he? I don't yeah, know, I remember. he is. Oh, yes. Yeah. He is now. Okay. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, he knows his, his stuff. But I just, I can't, I, like, here's my dream world. And this is kind of what I'm living right now. I can't focus on anything for more than three or four hours without getting bored. So, and I can do it five days a week, but I need to switch within the day. Otherwise, I just lose my mind. So, like, the thought of just doing weather reporting for the rest of my life, is not something I want to do. I love doing it and I'd do it again if they, if someone needed it in some way, but like, I don't like pigeonholing myself anywhere. And I feel like my, I don't want to say my career suffer, but like, I don't have as big a profile as a lot of people out there in this, in this media landscape yet. And I think it's because I've chosen a route that is maybe a little different than other people where, you know, I was at WCIU and then I was filling in a WGN radio I could have easily maybe tried to go to different radio stations and be like, no, I'm going to be a radio host. Send me to a lower market. Let me build it up there. Come back to Chicago when I can get a full-time radio job. But I was like, nah, you know, I'm cool doing like WGN on the side and slowly growing. And now I have a show five days a week. So that worked out pretty well. Um, at, at the U, right? Like, I mean, on a, on a show that maybe isn't as watched as originally as 2579, trying to still continue to build that brand and do what I do and commit to it. Same thing with the Hawks. Like I was... It takes some time to get people to get to recognize you. And Block Club Chicago, it's not like it's, you know, I mean, it's doing really well, but it's not like every person in the city knows what it is. So I don't know. I, I just, I also, people also ask me, like, do you have a plan? Like, what's your goal? And I don't know. I love to be the price, price is right house. Like, that'd be a dream job. But like, I don't like to pick a lane and like try and go. I try and take the jobs I can get, say yes to them work my ass off at them and see what happens next. I think that we're at a place that it makes it hard to predict where the industry is going anyway. Like you oh, can yeah. have, I, I used to kind of think of it in chunks of like five-year plan, like that's out the window. And yeah. I think that now like two-year plans are, are almost out the window. That's mm -hmm. kind of the space that we're in now. Right, right. Like, I mean, like talk radio, still great in Chicago, right? Vibrant. That comes and goes, right? I mean, I, th I think we're good. Like TV, the, ch the change to digital, oh, it's going to be all digital. Then CNN Plus gets canned after three weeks, right? Like no one knows what's happening with that. And that's why I really like to have my toe 
or toes or whatever in all four areas. And that is something that I, I guess if you say, do you have a plan? My plan is to always have an, a foot in radio, a foot in TV, an arm in digital and an arm in, in arena or in person or stand-up comedy, something where you actually can connect with people in person. And I feel like if I can kind of just like keep that trajectory going, uh, it's going to be good. And, and let's be honest in this business, you've experienced it. I've experienced it. Jobs go away. Yep. That income goes away. And I am a, uh, I'm a cheap guy and I like to live frugally. <laughs> and I, I know, I know it drives Enrique crazy, but I also like, I, mean, I probably get it from my parents, right? Like the, like I'm like a super saver and like, I, it, it worries me if I have only one income stream. So mm. part of it is motivated by the need to always kind of have different pots. We and are very, it, we are very similar in that way. Like yeah. it's uneasy to have like one, even if it's a passive income stream, it's yeah. very uneasy to have just one. It's a really, really weird thing. And I think that that does come from, you know, like w- what your parents are and probably what your grandparents are. Yeah. You know, like that probably plays a big role in it. Now, look, I work at a heritage sports radio station, which is a big deal. Score has been around for 30 years. It's fantastic. You got to triple that for WGN radio. What's (laughs) it like to be at one of the heritage radio stations in America? Um, it's. I will say that I'm never most comfortable. I'm never more comfortable than I am doing talk radio facts i feel it's the best i love the interaction with the callers i love i call it radio magic i'm sure you have the same what you just you don't you know it when you're hearing it you're like holy cow we got to a place how do we get here throw out the next block or we're sticking on this we found something and that comes from sometimes good producing sometimes good luck but most importantly being quick on your feet and feeling what that is and I, I, the only reason i think i'm good at it I hope I good at I good at it, I should say is that I grew up listening to talk radio all the time. Listen to the Cubs games on GN, kept it on. Listen to the score. Listen to WMAQ. Listen to everything. Listen to BBM, and I would listen under my covers at night with the radio playing, so that my parents wouldn't tell me to go to bed. And there is a sort of it just is in my blood a little bit, and I, um, and also when I started at WGN Radio, it was as a fill-in guy. And most of the time it was overnight and you want to fill four hours and you got maybe a news guy there live with you and no guests that want to come on live from one to 5 a.m. Go. And boy, that's something that <laughs> I look back now. And again, I'm like, I don't know if I'd want to do that now, but I did it then. And it really built up my confidence to just go with the flow and to feel. Cause like, I think that, We've all heard talk radio hosts, and it's a hard gig, who, you know, rush from one topic to the next because they're not getting the calls, they're not getting this, and then they there's almost like a panic, and listeners can feel that. And, like, I just feel very lucky that I got trained in the overnight world of, like, yeah, man, we'll, we'll, I got something to say. I got something to talk about. I hope you do, too. Okay, no calls yet, but I'm going to milk this a little bit. I know this is good, and then you finally get in a rhythm, and it's great. So to answer your question in a long way, it's awesome. I've been so lucky. I worked for WPGU and I did some traffic like for a, a company that did traffic for multiple radio stations. In fact, that's how I got my first on air thing at WGN, but it's been WPGU in Champaign and WGN in Chicago. Mm. And I'm blessed 
that that's what it was and that's what it's been. John, I appreciate your time, man. I hey, I, I'm glad that we had the opportunity to do this because I I always look forward when I would pop up on WCIU of like working with you because I think I think you're smart and you get it and you make it fun and you also make it welcoming for people to come in from outside the house. So like that's thank you. That's something that I I pay attention to when I'm invited places and it it yeah. it, it helps. It, it truly does. Like it helps relax people when there are folks like that that make that want to have everyone be a part of the experience yeah well i appreciate that man and uh it's been great catching up with you and uh thank you and thanks for the listeners for engaging in my story if they if they're still listening you held on thank you (laughs) (laughs) well continued success and and continue to to keep i I, keep diversify man i think that's the that's the key in, in where we're at right now but I appreciate you being on the podcast and sharing your experience with everyone. Take care, Lawrence. I appreciate it. John, be well, sir. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. You can see in that conversation why he is a sought-after personality. He has a lot of information, research. He's got an incredible way of thinking of things, and he's super smart. You want to get to the sauce? It's the sauce brought to you by Aurelio's. Like the sauce of that conversation is John explaining the, the things that it takes to succeed and the willingness to make some sacrifices. He's sacrificing and has been sacrificing a lot of sleep for a long time. And I appreciate that about him. I appreciate his whole style, man. I'm glad that he felt comfortable enough to talk about his coming out process. And I also dig that for John, that finding himself meant staying in a place that was comfortable to him. Like that extra time that he spent in Champaign-Urbana because he felt like he had built a universe for himself where he could be himself. And that that takes some guts. He's just super smart, and I'm I'm glad that he's succeeding at the level that he is. I always look around, and I'm looking like, who are the people that are similar to me when it comes to this stuff? And Cap's one of those people. Layla's one of those people. And John's one of those people we probably feel more comfortable like in studios than we do in our own skin sometimes. But we like showing our skills and showing that we can do everything, that we can do TV and print and do radio and podcast, like all of that stuff. Like I see a lot of the things that I like about myself in John. And he's doing it at a super high level, and I I truly respect that. I really do. I'm not quite ready. There's something that I want to tell you as a listener of House of L, but I'm not quite ready to tell you yet. There's just some more I's that need to get dotted and some T's that need to be crossed. But I will, will, this is what they call a tease in the business. I will tell you that 
when and if this happens, there'll be an entire episode of the podcast about it. Is that a tease enough for you? And it'll probably come out later this week. So. And, oh, before I get back to the music, it's something that I'm really, really excited about. And I think you might be excited about it, too. I appreciate your support on all of my platforms. Follow me on Twitter at Lawrence W. Holmes. I'm also on Instagram at Lawrence W. Holmes. Check out the show on the score from noon until 2. And later on this week, there'll be some other things that we can add to that. Thanks for listening to the episode. I will talk to you soon. I promise. Peace. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.